Trading Nut, episode 203. My first goal was just supplement that side hustle. So literally, it's like if I can just make five, six hundred a week and replace, you know, Lyft and Uber, then that's already great for me. <laughs> and then once um, something I did in the beginning is that I kept working while I started becoming profitable and I started stacking up money. I think a lot of people will basically become profitable or have their first big withdrawal and be like, I'm out. But then there's that big pressure of constantly having to perform in the beginning when you're not as consistent yet. So for me, I understood that it was actually a pro to keep my job, even though, trust me, I'm, I had been ready to leave. So <laughs> I relate to people who, you know, are want to be gone. But at the same time, I understood the power of still collecting a paycheck and not having that extra pressure and being able to stack it, right? Because the other reason, too, why people aren't, aren't able to compound like they want is because they're constantly taking withdrawal from it. The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than... I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax. Learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up, traders? Welcome to another installment of the Trading Up Podcast. I'm your host, Cam Hawkins, and today we've got Elise Amores here on the show. Now, Elise has got a fantastic trading journey story to tell you. Uh, she started off her account with 300 bucks and in five years is now trading over seven figures. She was a single mum as well, worked for Uber, quit that to become a day trader. All of that is covered in this podcast interview as well as a whole bunch more. And we did shoot a video after this where she breaks down her trading strategy in full, which wins 80 to 90% of the time. All of this stuff is over there on the internet. If you want to verify anything that she's mentions, I mean, she's got a track record of years, right? The last five years, in fact. Uh, other things over there, talking about the internet, we did talk about Twitter before we jumped on the call, and she was able to tell me about a competition she ran earlier this year, I believe it was, where she put some traders through their paces to see you know, who would win a free uh, funding challenge, right? And one of the guys that won it, uh, one of these one of these funding challenges is coming on the show next week. So we've got him coming on next week. Uh, also, other things I should mention is uh, Elise has recommended a trader who I haven't interviewed yet, but I will be interviewing, and he is an ex-software developer, come trader, now managing funds for other people. Um, very good trader, and also an algo developer. He's developed his trading strategies into algos. So being a software developer comes in quite handy sometimes, but if you're not, and looking to automate some or all of what you do, then go and check out my Robot Builders Club where I teach you how to do that using the skills I've picked up over the years. I've been doing it for about seven years. Um, we've got a great little community over there. If you're looking to automate some or all of what you do or even just coming up with ideas and trying to automate those, then I give you the skills and te- techniques and tactics that I've come up with that make it super fast. So you can do this in like just a few minutes or even hours to come up and automate a full-on trading strategy. All right, enough from me, folks. Let's get on with the show with Elise after hearing from our sponsors. Fidel Crest is an award-winning prop firm that funds traders with up to $2 million and offers generous profit splits up to 90%. So what sets Fidel Crest apart? Well, it's their verification stage payouts of up to 30 k in as little as 15 days. So you can receive your first payout prior to becoming a fully funded trader. Just complete the challenge phase and verification stage without violating any rules to receive your first payout. And be sure to use promo code TRADINGNUT 
all one word, to get 10% off your next challenge. Click the link in the description below or the card above to find out more. All right, folks, here we are on Trading Up. We've got Elise Amores here on the show all the way over there in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you so much for having me. I really am excited to be here. Well, it's, it's not that often I have uh, women traders on the show. In fact, I, I do. Just re- yeah, just recently I had somebody, uh, somebody who was a listener of the show reach out to me and um, ask a question. And they followed one of the traders on the show, which was Stacey Burke, I believe. And within maybe two years, they've gone from like not being profitable to trading full time for a living. So, um, and and it's this is like a, another another lady trader. So it's great to have you on. To start off with, we're going to get to hear your story, and uh, I know you've been at this for a long time, and and you're you know at the top of the game. So I can't wait to to dig in. So how did it all start? Well, it started quite interesting because if I'm being honest with you, I have no background in trading or finances at all. So when I was finishing school, I actually ended up doing culinary. I was in the hospitality industry, front and back of house for over a decade. Um, I will say that I was always interested in finance and I've always been good at math, but I never really took that route because I felt as though you had to be in school for a long period of time. I thought you had to do a whole bachelor's, master's, you had to intern at bank and this whole process and system that I just really wasn't looking to do. And the part of it that did intrigue me even then was really just the trading. And again, I feel like there were so many steps and obstacles along the way that I kind of wanted to maybe dabble into it one day, but I guess it kind of went on the back burner and I was just hoping to learn investing one day. Um, but after doing that for about a decade, uh, I did well at it. I was good at what I did, but I was also frustrated because there was just no quality of life. Um, so even though I was advancing in that, you know, I knew something had to give. So for me, when it came to trading, I feel like the main things that attracted me to it is the same thing that a lot of people are attracted to trading with. It's like the money freedom and the time freedom. But I think putting that together, if you had to summarize that into one thing, it was like a way for me to take my power back, right? I felt like I was at everybody's um, will instead of my own and I really wanted to take my future in my own hands because even you know like I said I'm good at math right so I did the math of my salary and retirements and all these things and I'm like the math is not mathing okay I'm gonna work really hard for a long period of time and it's just not gonna be where I want to be and I'll still be struggling right and I love like my family in the background and that they've still in me to be a hard worker but I I really don't like seeing people struggle are needing to go back to work when they're older and I just wanted something different for me. And I also wanted to be able to give back, you know, to my family because of the fact that they've still done things and sacrificed a lot for me. I wanted to see how I could take that work ethic, but then now tie it in with knowledge of financials and things like that and to be able to give back. So um in twenty so July twenty seventeen, luckily for me, I was already looking to get into it some type of way. And uh, a good friend of mine was gonna start learning Forex and they came and talked to me about it, said, hey, let's learn it together. And I was like, that's that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> so ironically, I still trade and they don't trade anymore. Um, they did the first year and, you know, we learned together. But I obviously stuck to it and my whole life has changed ever since. It's crazy to think that only five and a half years ago, like I knew nothing about it. And to where I am now, it's just, um, I want to say it's crazy, like, but Ultimately, I manifested it right, and I worked my way to it. But still, the trans, like the progress, is just crazy when you think about what's happened in that period of time. And we'll get to that in a second. Now, what kind of training did you start off with? 
I did the same as most. I started with Forex MLM, um, which I do think was a good foundation and a good introduction, right? Because you have that introductory information. You learn the basics and the, the things that you need to know in terms of, you know, sessions, pips, the basic stuff you need to know. But I, I will say that um, I felt fairly quickly that I was already going to surpass that what was being offered, right? So I always joke with everybody that I'm probably the only person who actually went through all the education, right? <laughs> a lot of people go there and they kind of go through the groups and socialize. I was there for education. I was all in. I went through it in like a month. And then I tried to, you know, play with every single one of those different tools, you know, uh, Fibonacci, Elliott Waves, just whatever. I did, I worked on everything like one month at a time and kind of brought it all together and kind of figured out what worked for me. But basically I could already see um, like with the educators, the people that I was learning with, that they were kind of staying where they were at. And I always seeked more. I'm like, I feel like there's more. I feel like I've already absorbed all this knowledge. So I stepped away from that and I really just put my hands on everything I could. But also I seek mentorship. I was never scared to seek mentorship and to pay for mentorship. And that the biggest thing is that every single year in my journey, I've always seeked someone that's where I want to be at that next level and learn from someone at that level, right? So I didn't go from like, being a novice trader to learning from a hedge fund manager right away because that level of understanding I haven't even like dealt with that transgression yet of that sliding scale. So at the beginning it was like, let me just learn from someone profitable and consistent or full time. And then it's like, okay, let me learn from someone who trades full time and has for a long period of time. And then now it's like, you know, when I'm learning from the last few years, it's going to be someone who's traded either to fund or traded personal account, you know, seven, eight figures. Awesome, and so so I mean, it sounds like you were obviously the sort of black sheep in the in the fold on that MLM kind of stuff. I mean, what were you doing? Well, first of all, how did you manage your life around it? Because it sounds like you're quite busy with the culinary stuff. And then, right. what were you doing different? Like when you said you you know studying Fibonacci for for a month, what was that actually entailing? Well, my life was very busy in the beginning. I was doing work full time. I was doing school full-time because I was still in school at the time, and I was a single mom with a newborn. When I learned trading, it was when my daughter, like, the first year, like, up to a toddler into one year. So I had to be organized. Um, <laughs> I had to be organized. It was, like, not optional. Um, but I just kind of split up my day between everything that I needed to get done. And, um, I mean, I was up late. I was sacrificing a lot of sleep. There's no way to lie about it. <laughs> I was really sacrificing but, you know, with that said, um, I was already getting very little sleep. I was already doing a full-time job and then, like, a side hustle, left an Uber on the side to pay for childcare for my first job. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I was already getting very little sleep. So even though it seemed inconvenient at first, I, I, the thing that I did uh, remember is that this is the solution to these problems, right? So if I can sacrifice for this short period of time, and then substitute one income first, right? So the first goal was to substitute the side hustle. The second one is to substitute the job. And then from there, eliminate both and have it be full-time, right? So I didn't let it become overwhelming because it could have been, right? It could have been, you know, this is just too much. So I always just put everything up into simple tasks in terms of what I was learning, one thing at a time, brought it together. And then, you know, and then even with my progression, I only hit one thing at a time. My goals were very uh, realistic working my way towards the end goal, right? So you have your end goal, but then you have the steps along the way of how I get there. And what, so, was, your, what was your first goal? My first goal was just supplement that side hustle. So literally it's like if I can just make five, 600 a week and replace, 
you know, Lyft and Uber, then that's already great for me. <laughs> and then once, um, something I did in the beginning is that I kept working while I started becoming profitable and I started stacking up money. I think a lot of people will basically become profitable or have their first big withdrawal and be like, I'm out. But then there's that big pressure of constantly having to perform in the beginning when you're not as consistent yet. So for me, I understood that it was actually a pro to keep my job, even though, trust me, I'm, I had been ready to leave. So <laughs> I relate to people who, you know, are want to be gone. But at the same time, I understood the power of still collecting a paycheck and not having that extra pressure and being able to stack it, right? Because the other reason, too, why people aren't, aren't able to compound like they want is because they're constantly taking withdrawals on it. So I understood for me to grow a few thousand to six figures where I would be able to go full time and leave and have that cushion that I wanted was that I had to let my account continue to compound. So basically, my next goal after replacing the side hustle was to make weekly what I was getting paid biweekly at the job. So basically, so if you think about it, right, if I'm still getting paid biweekly at my job, and then I'm doing weekly, but I was getting paid bi-weekly, I'm getting paid like almost two months to three months of pay in one month. So by the time it had been about a quarter or half a year, I had saved up a whole year's salary and income, and then I was able to leave. So for me, you know, as a single mom, I didn't really have the choice to like, you know, just call it close and wish for the best. Like obviously if it was just me, I, I wouldn't mind leaving earlier and betting on myself, but when you have responsibilities and people you have to take care of, because I take care of other people in my family as well, you know, you don't have the option or freedom to just like, okay, I'm out. I couldn't be selfish as I had wanted to be, and I had to be able to be prepared. Well, it sounds like a very like methodical approach to getting you know financially yeah. free, which is awesome. And I don't think enough people get down to that nitty gritty and level of detail to to make that. I suppose, connection with it to, to achieve those goals. Now, that first goal, how easy was it and how long did it take you to get to that five to $600 a week uh, target? And what um, was your starting account balance? So I'm honest with people and I have the screenshots of it. I started with $300. Now, I did have a few thousand to invest, but my thing was that if I can't grow 300 into the amount that I want to invest, then I don't have the skill set to put that money in yet. Um, the one thing I will say that did benefit like that I did benefit from in terms of being around a lot of people that were learning trading is that I saw how quickly people just went through their money and blew right through it. Right. So instead of becoming a part of that um, percentage, I, de I decided to play it a little bit differently. Um, and I actually listened to that rule that no one likes to listen to, which is invest what you're willing to lose. So yeah, I had a few thousand to put in, but I was only willing apparently to lose $300. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So that was what I started with. But it also helped challenge me in terms of being able to grow that, right? Because, again, if I can't grow this much, you can't grow 300, you can't grow 3,000, you can't grow 30,000, 300K, right? It's all the same thing that you're doing. The only difference is the numbers. So that is always uh, something that has been an advantage for me is that I look at math, I look at trading as math, probabilities, and numbers, and I don't attach myself to the money. Now, in the beginning, I was attached to the money, but that's because I was living in a more poverty mindset. So I did have to change that, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in time. But I was already trying to look at it as numbers, even though I was still attached to it. And then once I was able to grow that money, then I put in the other thousand through that and continue to compound from there. And so did you, um, did you ever blow that 300 account? No, I did not. I definitely no. took some L's on it for sure. Because <laughs> um, in the beginning, since you're not as consistent yet, you won't have a like a nice clean equity curve 
it's going to be a lot more of like that fluctuation, right? So it's going to be a lot more of that up, break even, uh, break even, and a lot of that. And in that time, it's up to you if you learn, okay, I need to make smaller losses so that even if I lose, it's still going up. And like, you basically want it to be trending. <laughs> you want your you want your equity curve to be trending, yeah. so it can make you know higher lows, but it still needs to be higher than the previous low. <laughs> okay, so. Um, and what were you, what is, were you doing but, from a strategy point of view at that at that early stage? Um, I was doing very retail concepts. I I will say that I started with patterns. Patterns was my thing. Um, I, maybe it's just because I saw them all. I'm a very visual person. Um, you know, I grew up doing dance, and then I guess I was a very visual person. So that was what I resonated with the most at first. Um, now I actually understand how and why they work. At the time, I didn't understand the why I just knew what it was and that when it does this, I do this. And then I just defined, I kept studying it over and over again. until I saw how I could trade it better and my risk could become better. And I will say I do uh, account my profitability in the beginning only to risk management. I was always, I was always good at that from the jump. Um, I don't know if it was because of my fear of losing money, but either way, I definitely was tied on risk in the beginning. Not like the beginning, beginning, because everybody, you know, you go a little bit over the board. And you're like, well, this is not going to work because <laughs> if I over leverage and I'm, you know, blowing half my account each time, now I have to make it 50 percent. But but I did change on that quickly because that's like when people ask me my journey and they're like, it seems like you move along quickly. I always tell everybody, like, we all have the same lessons along the way, but how quick you change and correct those determines how quick you get past it. So you can either have that mistake twice and fix it or 200 times and fix it. But that's up to you. So for me, I don't like to deal with stuff like the same thing 10, 20, 30 times. It's like, okay, you already got that lesson 50 trades ago, right? So it's up to you, again, to correct that and what kind of mistakes? to suffer. What kind of mistakes were you picking up back in the um, I was letting my losers run too long. That's always the biggest thing that I've had to work on. Because um, even as I became more profitable in terms of like my win rate, because I wasn't taking losses as much, I really didn't take losses well. So I would want to hold on to those trades. and But then it's like if you're really fully wrong, then now it's like all that work you've done. Basically, let me, let me describe it this way. You'll have about two to three weeks of where you have a whole good week and you knock it out in one day and you do that for a month. I was good. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Because it's wasted time. To me, it wasn't efficient. So it wasn't, it was about efficiency for me. It's like, this is counterproductive and I'm wasting my time by doing this. And then that's when I understood and respected more the power of risk management and risk reward. But risk reward and risk management only works if you're following it. And that's the thing is like, knowing it and, and doing it are two different things. And what, what, what was your sort of bog standard way to approach risk management? Um, I was taking the appropriate lot sizes for the account, which most people don't in the beginning because they're trading smaller accounts. They tend to like, well, I'm not going to make any money unless I do higher leverage. But then I understood, like I said, I started that way, like everybody else, but then my losses were too big and it's like, okay, well, it's great when it works, but then when you lose now, it's not working. So I was fine. Actually, this is what I will say. I learned, um, stacking and, um, like leveraging against positive equity very early on. So although I was doing smaller positions, like appropriate for the count size and with proper risk, I was good at stacking positions. And I would do when each previous position was secured. And because you can trade against the positive equity, right? So 
Uh, you, you know, know, if I, let's say my account was 3000 I'm running a trade and my account is up like $500 or something like that. Then my next position, I'm technically trading against that balance. Even though I haven't closed it, you can trade against the positive equity. So once I learned that, you know, and, and kind of really became good at that, that's how I was able to grow it quicker was by doing that. Right. It's quite interesting that you were able to do the stacking early on. I mean, a lot of people, some people never do it. And uh, a lot of people struggle right. to get there when they do try and do it. I mean, what was the, what was the key sort of instigator around that? Why did you decide to start stacking and what, what was the, what right. gave you the confidence? So when I was trading patterns, you trade momentum trading a lot, right? Breakouts and momentum. So as you get better at recognizing momentum zones, I would only stack in places where I saw that momentum was going to happen. And I wasn't greedy on those targets. So although, so early on, I was already doing a combination of scalping intraday, which is what I do currently. I would say about 80% scalping, the rest is intraday. But basically, I would have my intraday positions. And these trades that I would stack in between would be ranges where there was momentum. And I'm not greedy on those targets. I basically just want to get in, take that bag, and be out of here. And my first trade that has the best position is the one that I want to keep running with a full target. Because I, I saw your uh, I saw your stats. I think you'd literally recently posted it on your Twitter, maybe even a few days ago. Um, and the win rate for the last 100 and something days was like 93%. So mm-hmm. what kind of risk to reward are you, well, were you trading back then? Like if you're saying your target, you know, you're not hanging around, you're getting out on those targets. Were, were you even, were you going for one-to-one or was it less than that or more than that? At that point in time, in the beginning, I was definitely only doing one-to-one and one-to-twos. Uh, my current trading plan, my minimum risk reward is one to two. Anything less than that for me personally isn't worth it. Now, with that said, I know amazing traders. I know amazing traders who only take one to ones. But but I will say, and I always tell everybody this: if you if you do lower risk reward, you have to be you have to have a high win rate. It's kind of, it's like they have to match each other. So that's kind of needed. Um, but yeah, at the time because I wasn't really good at um, narrowing down the zones yet, my stops were bigger. So my, my risk rewards were smaller. Um, but as I started to fine tune my skill set, I was able to narrow down the zones. So I was really actually taking the same trades, to be honest. But because my stop loss range was tighter and my entries were better, the same trades that I was taking before, just with different entry and tighter stops, now became one to fours and one to sixes in time. Right. Now, um, I mean, there's so much I want to ask you, and I don't think we're going to get through it all today. But because uh, you've got such a long, long and uh, good story, let's start off with uh, some of the stats and stuff around what you actually trade. So, like, what markets you tr- focused on trading these days? Yes. So, two main things that I mainly trade. So, on the fund account that I trade, I do gold only, and I do that from 8 a.m. to 9:30. Uh, I live in EST, or my time zone is Eastern Standard same as the New York Stock Exchange. So the only way that I'm allowed to trade two different things is that I do them at different times. So I basically trade gold from 8 to 9.30, and then I do indices open at 9.30 to 10, or 9.30 to 10.30, kind of depending on how the market is giving me setups. Um, but that's pretty much the only time that I trade. In the beginning, I, I did like everybody else where you're over trading and you're on a chart, like you want every pip in the market and you're there from sun up to sundown, you know, trying to get that first pip and the last pip of the day. Um, but the thing is, is that I was trying to do money freedom and time freedom. I got this part, but the time freedom wasn't there yet. So then 
Uh, and you also learn as you continue to trade that overtrading does not help you because you start to learn that trading in volatility is better, especially if you're a scalper and you're capitalizing on the momentum and the expansion moves versus trying to trade the setups for those moves because when it's setting up, it's going to be a lot of uh, manipulation and ranging. And, yeah, you can trade that, but I will say that journaling helped me with this because when I started looking at my, like, my stats, I started to see that when I'm trading those less volatile times, those losses are knocking out my wins. And if I could just cut out that time and trade less, I'm making less decisions, right? There's the power of focus and decision-making, which they talk about that in mind books and entrepreneurship books all the time about you can only make so many good decisions a day, right? So I wanted to be efficient, right? So I'm capitalizing on volatility. I'm not over-trading anymore, making less decisions. And then I also became pickier on my setup, right? So high probability, I kind of have like a ranking of like, you know, A grade setup, B grade setup, and C and less is basically like I'm not even taking it. It's not worth my time. And and so you obviously I saw in this in the in, uh, the Twitter pick that you had Euro US dollar in there. So you didn't mention forex pairs. Do you do you even trade forex now? And how did you get yeah, on to fo- <laughs> when I was doing forex pairs? Oh, I apologize for that. <laughs> I apologize. I thought it was then. Um, when I was doing forex pairs, I was mainly doing EU and GU, uh, the same as most people. I did stick to you know USD pairs. Obviously, have really good volume for New York session. I will say in the beginning when I started trading, I was actually trading Asia and London because I was working and I was busy during the day, um, which Asia may have made me a better trader because you kind of have to, there's not as much volatility there, yeah. so I had to really become really good at technicals. But at that time, I was trading GJ um, and things like that. And then when I do trade London, I do trade London on occasion, but the only thing I trade if I do London is DAX or German 30, depending on what you call it. And I every kind of says both interchangeably. And I only trade that at 3 a.m. Eastern. And basically that opening volume for like 30 minutes to hour and I'm done. So my system at this point is very efficient. I know what I'm looking for. I get in the market. The setup is there or it's not. And I'm in the trade. Then I secure it and let it run. Or I take some partials. It depends on how, what it looks like. And what about like multi-time frame analysis? How do you, are you using that? Do you, do you, uh, how, and how do you yes. implement it? Yeah, I'm actually glad you bring that up because I do feel like um, a lot of scalpers tend to forget to get your top-down analysis done. So I'm very big on establishing my liquidity ranges or like kind of my A to B ranges. I want to know where the liquidity is and kind of where we are in relation to the market. Um, The reason why I do that before I zoom in is because, one, the scalps in between should only be taking trades to those areas, to or from those areas. Um, but you want to be mindful of that because, for example, if I have like a four-hour daily supply zone and I'm taking, sometimes when price is delivering into a zone, it may have really strong price action to create FOMO, to have people go in the market at a place where it's literally about to liquidate them. So if you haven't marked those zones and then you're scalping and you're not being mindful of where you're headed to, then when you see that price action, you're going to be lured in instead of understanding that I need to be taking profit on my positions. And not entering and waiting to see the reaction. Now, if it does continue, you know, past that price and invalidate the reversal and basically become a continuation, I can look for another entry. But the reason why I recommend top-down analysis, whether you do, like, obviously, obviously, if you trade higher time frame, you need to analyze them. But I still recommend it to intraday and scalpers because you want to be mindful of, it helps you determine whether you're holding the trade or closing the trades, whether it's short-term, long-term, and things like that. So I sort of create a narrative 
of like where the market is and where I'm in relation to where it's going. So that way the helps increase, like part of my win rate is because of that. Where other people are looking to enter, I'm not looking to enter yet because I just bought into a potential sell zone. So I'm not going to take another buy unless that zone is invalidated or I may not be looking for a sell. So you're looking at daily four hour sort of higher time frame, and what time frames for entry? Very small time frame. I'm not going to front with you. Um, definitely down to like the three minute, one minute. I don't want to tell everybody the seconds chart because then, you know, all my swing traders are going to be upset with me that you can't do that. But honestly, once you've been doing this every single day for over five and a half years, I really can't get on the 15 second, 30 second and get a good entry. And it's like my entry day and swing positions, I still get on, on a really small time frame. But I don't like to specify a specific time frame. I think people become a little bit obsessed with specific time frames. For me, I'm just looking at where it looks cleanest. So I'll just move to where it looks cleanest for what I'm looking for. And I'll just take entry there. I don't obsess over it has to be this time frame. It has to be this because I find that doing that can kind of just take away from your focus of finding the good setup. And, and your, uh, your, your entry, oh, sorry, your stop loss is on those time frames. So it's on those smaller seconds time yes. frames. Okay, that's going to give you the, the easy RR. That's stuff. what gives me the better risk reward. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, okay, interesting. Now I want to jump back uh, for a second here. So, when you when you first started out and you're obviously trying to go for that target, you know, five to six hundred dollars a week, at some point you must have thought you did or sorry, did you at some point think, I've got this, it's all like I've cracked it, I've finally there, I've worked it out. And was it smooth sailing since from then or were there hiccups along the way? There's definitely always hiccups along the way. Um you'll learn in time as you trade So the longer you trade, the more you see different market conditions, right? Elections, uh, COVID, COVID, natural events, Mm -hmm. uh, just all types of stuff. So you learn how you trade better in certain markets and you learn how you don't trade as well in certain markets. And that's how you continue to add to your trading plan and you get picky on your trading plan. So, you know, although, again, my equity curve was staying consistent in terms of having a good curve. Just like in any equity curve, you're going to have times where it's going down. So, um, yeah, there would be a lie to say that it was always new selling. I've, I've had so many uh, humbling moments. I'm, everybody has when they're trading. And I've never let it get the best of me. Even to this day, I remain a student. And, you know, some people would feel like, oh, your stats are some of the best I've seen. And, you know, you should be comfortable with that. But I know that. I got to where I am by continually being picky and seeing how I can be better and more efficient. So even if you maintain the same stats, you can still become more efficient or you can still find a way to have an edge with that or maybe even find different strategies for different conditions, right? So maybe as I learned different markets, I learned different techniques in each market that works well. And now, because I, I, I had to look at look through your Instagram and your Twitter and I saw, as I mentioned earlier, 93% win rate on your uh Twitter, and then I actually saw on a story you posted a few years ago on your Instagram an eighty-eight percent win rate, and I'm not too sure what the duration mm-hmm. of that was, but um, right. the the I mean from a from a sort of I suppose confidence and consistency point of view, have you ever dropped mm-hmm. below that level dramatically where you're going okay, right. hang on a second, you know, it started to concern you at all. So 
I will say that my win rate always varies, right? So I don't have like a specific number. My my win rate tends to vary between 83% to 95% on the highest side, but that's, you know, hard to maintain. It just depends. If I have a really beautiful scalpers market and it happens to be like that all month, that's typically when I'm having a higher win rate. Um, but my win rate will vary, you know, 83% to the 90s. Um, and more consistently lately, I would say like higher 80%. So, um, Working my way up to it, like when I first started trading, it was only 50, 60%, 70, like kind of in that range. And that's why I worked on the consistency. That's where my trading journal helped. And I saw the corrections that I needed to make to be more consistent. Um, and really in the beginning, the win rate a lot for me, like when it was lower, had to be with the fact that I just was still learning what was working best for me. My win rate incre increasing was just me getting better at my strategy and what works for me and then executing it. So I found that any time that my win rate is lower, it had to do with me more than the market, meaning that I'm not following my trading plan or I'm lacking in one of the rules that I've set for myself. So you do learn that in your years of trading that most of the time you're losing has more to do with you. And most uh, profitable traders that I know consider a good trading day a day when you follow your plan. So even if that means losses, but you protected your account, you did the appropriate risk that's considered a good trading day. So I had to learn the difference between um, like a good loss and a bad loss, meaning that I did what I was supposed to do here versus I completely just didn't follow my plan and it was just complete wreck. <laughs> now, um, talking about your trading day, what does your day look like? I've heard you mentioned 3 a.m. and 8 a.m. and these sort of things. So yeah. how does your whole day pan out? I don't do the 3 a.m. as much anymore. Um, even if I do, I never do consecutively because um, I do get up every single day at 6.30 to get my daughter on the bus. But, and then that period of time after I get on the bus about 7.20, I have about that 30 minutes before I start trading around 8. Um, one of the biggest things for me that I do uh, is I just like to be in a good mood before I start trading. So that may look different every day. You know, sometimes it's just getting a tea ready and relaxing. A lot of times I do play music that puts me in a good mood. And it may vary every day. Sometimes it may just be something upbeat. Some days it may be like focus music. I play like the the beta, delta, all those waves and whatever. Binary, <laughs> the delta, binary all beats, stuff. yeah. yeah. Um, but I like to be focused and I like to be ready to trade. So a lot of that prep just depends each day, right? If, if um, sometimes I'm journaling before I trade, I will say that my progression to getting better, I was journaling excessively. Uh, I would be more honest now and saying I don't journal as much as I did before. I like I still have my track record in terms of my stats and that's kind of what I use as my journal. But at the beginning I was kind of writing down like my moods and everything to see my correlation of how my trading went. And then I write notes about the market too. But when you be like become good at seeing that all that over and over again, you kind of see it without having to journal it so much. Um, but yeah, my routine is really quite simple. I just want to make sure I'm ready mentally. So I'll be looking, obviously, you should always be mindful of news, what's setting up. Because, for example, um, if there's news at 8.30, I'm typically not trading before it, right? So if I usually do gold from 8 to 9.30 and there's news at 8.30, the first 30 minutes there is just me seeing what's setting up and seeing what type of position I'm going to take. But I'm not going to be trading before news those days. Now, if it's a day without, then I'll be taking my usual trades and getting in there. But you want to be mindful of what you're looking for and just set up your routine. So it's really quite simple. I just make sure I'm mentally ready to trade and then I'm focused. And and what, what sort of uh, tips over the years and I suppose things you may have tried in the past 
Um, could you share with our listeners around getting your mindset on point for trading? I mean, there's a couple of ideas already that you've just mentioned. Right. Well, I do visualization a lot. I've always done visualization because if you haven't seen the type of numbers that you're working towards, um, I visualize like actually trading well and then seeing those numbers. And I actually go through the emotions of feeling it too and being calm. So I do remember the first year or so, you're really anxious around the trading, right? Because in the beginning, since you don't know a lot yet and you're still learning the market, there's a lot of anxiety around trading in the beginning because you put in the trading and kind of like, <laughs> I hope it works, right? Because in the beginning, you haven't seen as much repetition enough yet to see, you know, to get comfortable with the candlesticks and the drawdown and all those things. So, um, so yeah, typically, I think I just lost my thought. <laughs> Yeah, so so, so visualization you were talking about in terms of... Oh, uh, visualization, yeah. right. So I usually will visualize what it... And feel, like, not only am I seeing what it feels like to trade efficiently, but I'm also feeling what that feels like. So that's the, one of the ways that I set up my moves is by actually getting myself there and maintaining that state. It's kind of that thing of, like, if you're working towards being a millionaire, imagine what that mindset is like now and be that person now, create that now. So I was kind of doing that even when I naturally wasn't there because that's where I wanted to be. So it kind of helped me set up, get to that point. And so, were you so like, visualization, you... affirmations and feeling like calm. And then also what it feels like when you win and stuff like that. And so, uh, so were you visualizing like the chart when you were looking at and like placing these trades and the trades going in into profit, into loss and handling it and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Right. So literally yep. this chart I would see me execute the trade. Yep. I would see the market do what it does. And I would see, like, I would feel what it's like to be calm while the trade is going on. And I would also visualize, like, I didn't visualize unrealistic conditions. So I would visualize, like, you know, coming back to your entry, but still ranging around there. But then, okay, I'm staying calm and collected. And it's still doing its thing. And then you're letting the trade play out. Yeah. Things like that. Essentially, because a uh, previous guest, Tom Hugard, he also talks about that. And I'm guessing you just yes, came up he's... with this yourself. Or did you hear him talk about it? How did that you know, he actually is someone that I favor very much. If we reference books later, he's definitely one of the books. Uh, his book is one of the ones I'll be recommending. I hadn't come across him at the time when I started doing that. That was just based off setting uh, psychology and um, things like that. I've always been interested in how people think and why people think the way they do. And I kind of carry that into trading. Um, because, you know, trading is a journey where you learn a lot about yourself and um, how you think. And you kind of have to work in that relationship with how you think in order for you to become profitable. Because I saw, again, a lot of my sabotaging behaviors with my own behaviors. So it's like, okay, once you see that, it's like, what can I do to counter this? And you just do research. It's like, and those are the things I saw. Those are the things I read on and gave it a shot. Now, um, as things progressed, you obviously had uh, extra or bigger goals that that you wanted to achieve um, to right. where you are now. I mean, what were the what were the th- what were some of the goals that you set yourself and were able to hit, uh, and and where to next? If you want to share that, I'm not too sure if you sure. do. Sure. But... So the first goal, of course, was being able to leave my job. But again, I did that very structured in terms of having my goals. But then after that point. Um, I wanted to pay off my debt, right? Uh, a lot of us, when you grow up, you know, in a middle class or lower class, a lot of things are done on credit cards, a lot of types of debt that build up and accumulate. So my first thing is like a lot of my stress at that time was because of debt. So 
that was one of my first goals was to help not pay off only my debt, but stuff with my parents in terms of their house and whatnot, so that we could all not live in such survival mode, right? So I understood that I was living in survival mode. So that if I'm able to change this circumstance, maybe I can think more clearly and be able to perform better. Um, so that was one of my first goals was to pay off my debt, right? So that number I looked about like 60,000. Um, once I was able to do that, then my trading, you know, that took a lot of stress off my shoulders for that trading. Then after that, you know, just progressed simply from there in terms of, you know, six figures. The first year, you know, the first year or two, you want to be able to make that six figures, like, in profit, like, after you make up your losses, right? Because in the beginning, you're more break-even, you're having some losses. First, you just want to become profitable, even if that means your first year may only be a few thousand in profit or something simple. Maybe not even profitable yet, right? Everybody's journey is different. I'm going to keep stating that, so I don't want anybody to compare theirs to mine. But regardless of when it happens, you know, cover those losses, make your money back, your initial investments. I also took some of those profits, like I said, and put it back into mentorship and education because that's all the value of it. So I understood that putting money into mentorship returns money back to me, right? You know, it's a great ROI. <laughs> Return on investment um, is investing in yourself, right? And then I wanted to pay my debt. Then after that, you know, just kind of take the natural progression, six figures, you know, a year to up from there. And I've kind of just naturally progressed each year and just made a higher target for myself. And was that six figures from the $300 that you initially started with? Or did you... Actually, I'll go ahead. So I've only mentioned, like, when I first started trading my own account. Yeah. But my progression in terms of trading, if I go through the whole entire five and a half years, is this personal account, PAM account, prop account, funds. Okay, so... I didn't come into larger funds until I started doing PAM trading, right? So um, I never started trading a PAM, honestly, because someone brought me on a PAM. Now, with that said, I will never, ever, 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 ever trade an account with anybody again. I don't recommend anybody to do it. Um, I think they were really bringing me on because they weren't that profitable and they wanted me to save the account. But to me, it was like, you know, they were like, oh, this is my profit split. You come on and help me with it. You know, we'll split that profit 50-50. And at the time, you know, it sounded like great because, well, one, I just wanted to learn how the experience and I saw the possibilities of where it could go. Now, with that said, I don't recommend trading account with somebody because it can be frustrating. But nonetheless, it did have, that was the first time that I actually traded six figures was, was because, you know, most of the people were investing in that account. Um, the stats, his, his stats were not fairly consistent, but as I was able to come on and complement the account, you know, finally mm -hmm. started having a more consistent equity curve. And um, that's really when I started trading higher money amounts. So, um, so, so the hundred k became much more achievable with the higher higher amount of right. So I it. basically right. So I basically saved up like the year long salary. You know, I don't know sixty seventy k, paid all that debt. But then you like kind of have to start over again or keep building from there. And I did kind of want to take a shortcut because obviously I knew I could do it and I could do it again. But obviously, uh, managing higher funds is kind of that shortcut. So we, we don't have to do it yourself, right? So I did see there was a benefit to it. And honestly, before he had told me about it, I probably didn't really know that much about it. So I was just excited to have an opportunity to skip building up to that amount and then just trade it, right? Obviously, the profit split is less uh, compared to like 100% of your own money. But nonetheless, again, you're skipping all that time. So it's a trade-off, but it's worth it. Um, yeah, and that ended up being a learning experience for me too, <laughs> just all of it. 
So after that, I did end up doing my own PAM. Um, it was a private PAM. I didn't do public. Well, the one I did first was public with the other gentlemen. When I did one later, it was private. And, you know, that was my source of income for a good period of time. And then prop trading finally <laughs> came about, and then I had to deal with investors and stuff. Um, the thing about doing, like, the private PAM is that, you know, since it's private, I know the investors in there because they don't know about it right unless I'm basically reaching out to people. Um, and I learned in that period of time, like, what type of investors I wanted to work with and not work with, right? Because you have people that have money that are giving you a small amount to invest that they don't think about, and you have people that they're giving you money that they need, and it's like they're on your back every day, and it's like, Lord, can you let me trade? Um, so, you know, that was okay, but a little bit less desirable because that extra, like, there's already the pressure performing without that, right? So then I learned that world of investors being down your neck, <laughs> you know, all that type of stuff. And so when prop trading, you know, when I got access to that, it's like, oh, my God, I can have a higher profit split uh, to deal with people, and I now have access to the account. So then I switched over to prop trading. I did that for about a year, and then luckily I was able to be referred to the hedge funds. So um, so was it, it most, was it mainly fund, a referral sort of basis that these, you know, people found you, somehow connected mm -hmm. with you, and then thought, oh, this, yep. this girl can trade, let's let's get her onto, a, onto this particular product or fund or whatever it is okay that's exactly what it is this is why i stay preaching people to network always and i became uh, i had access to this this uh podcast today by being referred right so i always yeah. tell people like be able to network talk with people all the time you never know what those relationships can build um even previous like business partners that i have now are people that i've traded with previously and Every single fund that I've traded for, the one I'm on now is currently is the third, but every single one I've been referred to, not one time has it been where I seeked it out or whatnot. Because the thing about uh, traders for funds is that they're not going to be publicly advertising that. It's pretty much only word of mouth or they're basically going to try to find people on their own and look like where they can find someone who posts public stats and kind of audition you and go from there, right? And the cool thing is that and I think I have mentioned this before, but a lot of people don't know that uh, prop accounts basically came from what funds used to do. So are they still do, but funds actually use proprietary trading pretty much to uh, audition traders. So when they, like when prop fund uh, happened, it was basically because someone took it away from the funds. It's like, we'll just let traders do it independently, not as an addition. Mm. But it's like that prepared me for the funds because now I've already done that due process. And now I'm just taking it to audition for something else instead. Um, I will say the first one I auditioned for was half a year. So I tell people that. So it's like, <laughs> be realistic. Because typically, whenever you're doing uh, a certification, like when you do SEC compliance, you typically have to have six months minimum for a strategy to be approved. So I had to have that track record. Not, one, to, of course, show that I could do it and handle it, but also for the approval of the strategy and so they could have some type of report and stats to show investors and people that want to invest in that strategy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I tell people that cause I wasn't paid during that period of time. Uh, that one happened to be demo. It's not always that way. Sometimes it is paid if it's proper. Sometimes it's not, but also I did it because the opportunity that I was working towards was worth it. And, and did, you, did you, have you ever had like a payday where you were like, this is just ridiculous. Um, I never thought I'd be here sort of thing moment. Definitely. My first, my largest payday was from the first ones. And it was actually ironically my only payment from that one. I did unfortunately end up leaving that fund. I just dealt with um, all types of issues there, which I don't want to elaborate on. But unfortunately, I did end up having to leave. 
but um but before I left, I made sure I had my largest payday. And, so and what's, what's your nice. goal going forward? Like, so, you mean, you, you, you're at sort of like, you seem to have knocked out all your goals today. I mean, have you have you got a future goal that you can share with us? Absolutely. I want to be trading multi-millions. So right now, uh, I trade a few million. I don't want to be specific on the number. But beyond that, I want to make it to 50 mil. And then eventually, I do want to get to billion-dollar allocations. Uh, the current fund I'm at will be advancing to having larger investors. We're actually working towards transferring all that and getting all that set up. I won't go into crazy details, but I'm just excited about the possibilities of the future and just really being able to challenge myself. To me, like, yeah, of course, the money's great. And, you know, there's benefits there. It's the same work and bigger pay, right? Because technically, everything I've done has been the same work. The only difference has changed the, the numbers. Yeah. Um, but I just like to challenge myself because I will say that although I am doing the same thing, the mentality, you know, is definitely, it's really, you have to change your mentality to be able to do it. Not, I will say not everybody is built to trade large accounts. Just some people just don't handle the stress well. They look at it too much as the money. Like I said, I look at it as numbers now and I simply follow the same risk and tight risk and I just do it religiously. That's the only way for me to okay. not be overwhelmed by it and just to trade it. Okay. And so was there, a, was there a moment where you were overwhelmed and did you have to sort of talk yourself down from that and how did you achieve that? The main time that I was overwhelmed was probably with the PAM account just because that pressure, that was the first time I was handing other people's money. And it, it, like, uh, I think the biggest thing that trading other people's money taught me was accountability. And then I tell people that the same thing when you're trading for funds, like your accountability has been another level. Because the thing is, is that when you're trading by yourself and when you're trading your own funds, you know, you can take your L's in private. Nobody knows. You take it, you decide whether you learn from it. Nobody knows and you deal with it on your own. But when you're trading investor funds, whether it's a PAM or whether it's, you know, a fund account, people know. <laughs> so your level of accountability has been another level. And you can't, you can't blame the market. You can't blame the broker. You can't do any of that. You have to take responsibility for how you manage the trade. And let's say even the broker's having consistent problems, like consistent problems. You as a trader have to say, these conditions need to be fixed, or I'm not going to trade these conditions, things like that. Because still, the losses happen, and you haven't voiced that or had it corrected. You're still responsible for it either way, right? So, um, as stressful as that was for a period of time. Like having an extra pressure, it did teach me how to handle it more gracefully and kind of uh, establish standards for myself and then also boundaries that I needed. Like each time that I've progressed on each account, I've learned like what I need from who I'm trading with. And I've just become pickier on who I work with and what brokers I use, how I trade and all that. And, and so skipping back to uh, networking, um, so that the guy who actually recommended you, I've got, a, I've done an interview with him. He's going to be on the show later on. He was one of the ones that you mentioned before so the show <laughs> had placed third in a competition you ran where you were giving away prop accounts to people. Um, yeah. What What do you recommend from a networking point of view if somebody was like in the position where they're you know starting to grow accounts, they want to. Um, they want to trade larger size capital. I suppose now they've got the prop firm opportunity, which is is obvious, is an easy right. way in. Um, what would you be your recommended sort of like path to getting to uh, to trading larger capital from a networking point of view? Well, 
you can do intentional uh, intentional networking, meaning that obviously you're looking for people who are working in those places and trying to network with them. I will say that the higher up you get, the more exclusive people are, or like selective people are. So I think in the beginning, it's actually better just to generally recommend networking overall, because I've always said you never know who you're talking to. So the thing is, is that even though sometimes I do know, like intentionally that I'm talking to this person that may work with someone that I, you know, kind of want to have a connection with, ultimately some of the best connections have been ones that I just had no idea and I just showed up my best self and performed and then they were like, oh, well, I could set you up here. And so a lot of them have played that way. So I've always said, like when you're on Twitter, be intentional and engage with people that you see are good traders because you never know even let's say that someone maybe is starting their own project and now you become a part of that project so it may not be someone who's already done something previously maybe you all start your own fund or maybe you have business partners now and you do your own project so the thing is is that you never know unless you network so just be authentic find people that um, you align with and work with those people and see what See what yeah. Uh, now, uh, last question before we sort of get into the uh, wrapping up the show. So, you've talked about like the fact that you'll happily invest in mentors across the across the years, and you have done. Mm-hmm. I always get asked the question, and people end you know email me, emailing me like, "Oh, who do you recommend?" You know, you've interviewed so many people. I mean, who are who are the mentors that? Or I suppose how did first of all, how did you find the mentors you found to be and to know mm-hmm. that they were going to be like giving you that next step up? And uh, are there any ones you want to recommend? Hmm. <laughs> this is a little tricky because I will say that some of the people that I've learned from are very private and some of them don't even teach anymore. Um, I've signed probably two to three NDAs and some, like I said, some of them don't teach. So I don't want to say go back to the networking part, but like the first one, like I basically took a plane ride to like Malaysia to do a class over there, but that was based off meeting a trader and she didn't teach, but her, but she references who she teaches. And they don't even teach publicly. You have to be referred into the program, right? So, again, the power of networking, right? Um, so, unfortunately, I can't necessarily mention some of them because either they don't teach anymore or it's more private. Um, but sort of what I mentioned before, I always look for someone at a higher level than what you're doing and then kind of go from there. If you're not sure how to do that, then look at a style that you want to learn and then start there, right? So. Mm-hmm. I had different er- times where I was learning, like, you know, price action. Or I was learning uh, Wickoff. Or I was learning this strategy, right? So that's another way to look for a mentor is kind of start at who teaches the strategy and do research in that field and then kind of get word of mouth. And then the main thing I will always say is, like, try to learn from a vetted person, meaning that you can have some type of uh, proof that they are who they say they are it's just going to save you the time and headache, right? You don't want to go and try to do like this master strategy and you go in there and they're teaching beginning like intro stuff and you're Baby intermediate, yeah. like advanced place. Yeah. That can be frustrating. Yeah. Now with that said, you got to take the good with the bad, right? There's definitely ones that I feel have been better than others, but sometimes there's power in knowing what not to do and then what to do, right? So it is frustrating. You know, no one's ever guaranteed 100%. Ultimately, you don't know until you do it. And sometimes it plays out where maybe it's not the best strategy or maybe it's just not one for you, but ultimately you got to be able to bet on yourself and take that risk. And 
I, I know I've mentioned networking so many times, but let's yeah. say like the one or two groups, for example, that I feel like really weren't worth my time or like I did actually have one scammer that I, a con artist that I basically learned. From. This is like the first or second year, but even though that completely didn't play out at all, like the main people, the one that referred me to the first and second hedge fund I met at that place. So again, even yeah. though that didn't yeah. work, I learned what to look for in scammers. So I never fell for any of that stuff again because I'm like, well, these are the things that I need to avoid. And then also I met these people and now we've done multiple businesses together. And they, you know, I refer them to this, they refer me to that, all types of stuff. Yeah. So it's so you true. Be it's intentional. So true. Yeah, you've got to put, you <laughs> put yourself out there. Now we're going to wrap up here um, with a few quick fire questions. So um, sure. the first one is uh, how long did it take you to go from newbie to consistently profitable? It was really in the first year, but I just want to stress that my win rate was very average and my consistency was still wavering. Again, risk was what kept me uh, floating. And then I can, and then as I continued with my track record and my trading journal, I saw what I needed to work on and improved it little by little. What's your favorite entry setup? Okay, I'm always trading in line with liquidity. So I'm looking for where, uh, I'm looking for liquidity, whether external and internal liquidity, and I'm determining on what type of trade that I'll be taking from there. So I'll, I can try to be a little bit more specific on the charts later. Okay. Um, but I'm always looking to capitalize on volume and time, right? So volatility and volume, I want them working together. So that's why I'm very intentional when I trade. Um, but I'm always looking for where the liquidity is and when it's basically being redistributed is where I'm trying to join in. So I kind of look for signatures in the market of where previous liquidity was in terms of like institutions or larger positions. And then basically I'll take it. A lot of times those positions will be doubled up or traded a second time. And then I'm just joining in with and taking it as well. Uh, do you manage trades when they're running or do you let them yes. either hit? Yes. Matter of fact, I think trade management is one of the most underrated skills in trading. Because you can do execution, and then if you can't manage your trade, then you're still not profitable. So if you're not able to, and whether your trade management is not even touching it and letting it run, or whether it is to do partials or whatever, you still need to find what works for you. But your trade management, I, I swear, is the most underrated skill. Because people focus on entry, and then they forget everything else. Like, they're done, and they've made it. And it's like, okay, but did you turn that entry into profit? Did you execute that trade well? So whether your trade, whether your plan is partials, whether it is full TP at multiple positions at different take profits, whatever it is, trade management is like really key to being really profitable. Uh, yeah, that's all. <laughs> What's your recommended uh, trading book or resource? Uh, Best Loser Wins by Tom Hugard. <laughs> yeah, um, and then... The Market Wizards series, all those books are great, but my favorite one is the Unknown Market Wizards. The reason why I prefer that one is because it's the same as uh, the same author, um, Jack uh, Swagger. Yeah. Swagger, thank you. I was like, I'm just... um, but the reason why I like the Unknown Market Wizards is because it's one younger and newer traders, and because it's like average people like you and my and you and me, right? So. Right. The older books tend to be a lot of the old old boys club yeah, and like yeah, traditional yeah. traders, but yeah. they're also like old school investors. So yeah. the unknown market wizards goes over different markets. So it has options, stocks, and forex. So it's one of the main books that has forex traders. 
but also it's people that came into it on their own and kind of like they all have different stories and very different trading techniques. So I really enjoy that book because of the variety. But in general, the Market Wizard books are great because every single book, the consistency between all of them is that none of them started good. <laughs> People have that false illusion that, you know, like they just started good and then they were yeah. great. <laughs> okay, well, they all talk about how they had major losses or major mistakes, but did they turn that into being profitable? So Cool. Now, what about your, what's your preferred broker and trading platform? I don't want to recommend a broker because, to be honest, the broker I use, I have to use the broker that my fund recommends, and then I, ha I have to use the one that the props have. Um, and then when it comes to Forex brokers, if I'm being forthright, um, the best ones aren't allowed, aren't offered to U.S. citizens. <laughs> I feel like most of the best brokers are are overseas, you know, so. Yeah. Um, in general, what I will recommend is trading an A book broker, not a B book. So you want to make sure that, you know, they're not benefiting from you went like they're only making money when you're making money. So look for A book brokers and then look for like ECN brokers. That's a general recommendation, but I don't want to say anything specific. Hey folks, ever wonder what broker I use? Well, I use Hanko Trade. It was a no-brainer because I was looking for a broker with good trading conditions and one that wouldn't restrict my leverage. Now, by joining Hanko Trade, I've also cut down my trading costs significantly with their super low commission of just $1 per 100K. You can learn more at hankotrade.com or just click the link I've put in the description. And what about uh, trading software? What software do you use? Basic MetaTrader and TradingView. <laughs> Okay, last, last question. Um, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, start learning and changing your relationship with money. Uh, I think that a lot of people struggle in trading actually has to do with the relationship with money. And once you're able to change that, I think it improves your trading. Cool. Now, look, before you Keep wrap up, simple. what's the best way for the traders to get hold of you? Uh Twitter and Instagram, I, I would say more so recently I'm on Twitter, but they both have the same handle, so it's pretty easy. It's Elise, A-L-Y-S-E, underscore V-M-V for M-V for Modern Victress. Um, very simple. And the same thing for both. Brilliant. And if it has anything extra, it's not me. Please don't follow yeah. the other one. Yeah, same with me. Not me. Um, <laughs> look, a big thank you to Elise for sharing with us today. Everything we've discussed here, along with all the links she's just mentioned, will be in the show notes. To find them, simply search for Elise in the search box on tradingnut.com. Until next time, wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. Radio folks, told you it was awesome. Now we've got even more. If you want to find out what Elise does on a price chart, then we did an epic breakdown. She broke it down fully, what she does on a price chart to trade for these funds. So guys, head over to their YouTube channel and check it out if you're not already here. Um, other things to remind you of, next week we've got the trader who uh, won one of her funding challenge competitions as well coming up on the show. And we've got this guy who uh, was one of her students, then ended up automating stuff, and he is coming on the show as well in the future. So stay tuned for that. And if you're looking to automate anything, then go and check out my Robot Builders Club or Robot Lab Live. But until next time, I'll see you in the next episode of Trading That.